So good morning. Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture from the Minor Prophets. So as you probably already know, minor doesn't mean insignificant or unimportant. It means that their version is shorter than most of the previous prophets who could be a little bit long in the tooth. Our passage today comes from the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verses 4 to 10. The writer of this prophecy, Zechariah, was the son of Jeroboam II, and this is said to be told around 746 B.C. Zechariah has many visions in this book. The one we're looking at is named the Fifth Night Vision. I looked at several versions to um, lead you through today, and I chose the New Living Testament because it, it's a little more in our language. And it goes, Then he said to me, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel: It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when he lifts up, he sets the final stone of the temple in place. The people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. Then another message came to me from the Lord. It was, Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that searches all around the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, Help us to understand what we are seeing and how you see us in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Zerubbabel was heir to the Davidic throne, but he was not called king. To have done that would have caused a lot of problems with the Persian emperor. Haggai 2, 20-23 gives the following explanation. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders. They will fall each by the sword of his brother. On that day declares the Lord Almighty. I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Things were pretty tense during this period of time, and you can sort of feel that it's the same with what we're dealing with in our world right now. This isn't the easiest passage of scripture to understand. Many of the commentators just brush over it, don't want to deal with it. I'm really amazed at people who can take the symbolism and understand it, and understand it well. 
We have someone here that does that. And Pastor Henry has taught many about symbolism, about the Bible. We give thanks for that. Looking a little before this prophecy in Zechariah 4.2, it tells us about the light of these seven pipes. It says, What do you see? he asked. I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven spouts with wicks. Again, Zechariah is drawing another picture. The lampstands consisted of a single basin with seven lamps around its ring, each having spouts for seven wicks. So there'd be a total of 49 flames. The oil for the lamps is said to have come from olive trees. Pipes delivered the oil from the trees directly to the lamps. Now, seven is a very common number when you start dealing with symbolism. It means quite often fullness or complete. Some scholars believe there were seven by seven, nine or by seven or 49 pipes. That would be a pretty bright lamp. How many people are here today? 40, 50? That's an awful lot of potential for light. The priests of that day would have tended the lamps in the temple twice a day. In this vision, the lamps and its accessories did not need to be tended by priests. God was present and made sure that the lamps were fed. These lampstands stood for the temple and the faithful Jewish worshipers. Like a city on a hill, their light shines out for God, and it cannot be hidden. The two trees are symbols of two men chosen by God to serve him. The roles of priest and prince or king go together here. Jointly, they supply what God's people need to shine with God's light in the world. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus is seen as this fulfillment of this priest-king ideal. Back to this passage of scripture, Zechariah calls the church back to the empowerment of God's spirit for its life and mission. Some people wonder why on earth Zerubbabel would be chosen for such a task. We know that he was of royal lineage, His heritage can be traced back to the Davidic royal line. It's this royal connection that seemed to have um, made him part of this part of this fulfillment. When ancient Near Eastern temples were rebuilt, there was phases that were marked by rituals. On the first ritual, it occurred at the outset of the work, and a a stone was chosen from the rubble, And once that rubble was turned away and cleaned up, the foundation was laid. And then there was a cornerstone put in. That was the first ritual. Then at the completion, the royal figure laid that capstone. And then that was time for praise. These two rituals provide the ritual background for the two oracles that we're going to read about in this passage. It also focuses God's spirit 
as a source for great tasks that lie ahead. Starting anywhere, anytime, anything new is daunting. There was uncertainty that Zerubbabel would be able to construct the temple. With pure human strength, it would be difficult to impossible for him to do so. So that's why Zechariah is saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. By my spirit, said the God of Israel. Zerubbabel didn't face great difficulties all the time, but this kind of work was going to set him up for a lot of trouble. But he was given the assurance that he would complete the task, and it wouldn't be by his spirit fight, not by his might, not by his power, but by the actual spirit of God. He wasn't told how God was going to carry out his plans and purposes. Like us, we only see through a glass darkly. Nevertheless, this responsibility like ours to live by faith in God, to trust the word of the Lord, and to believe what God told us, that's what, the, that's what he needed to do, that's what we need to do. Zerubbabel wasn't alone in history for having to deal with disgruntled and disappointed people. There are naysayers in every generation. Throughout history, there's scientists and experts who have gone on record about new things happening in their midst. It was kind of interesting to come across this list as I started looking into um, the things that make us hold our breath. In 1840, one of the experts said, anyone traveling at the speed of 30 miles an hour would surely suffocate. Again, in 1878, another expert said, electric lights are worthless. They don't don't deserve our attention. In 1897, Lord Kelvin, a British mathematician and physicist, said, Radio has no future. Then in 1901, another person that was seen as an expert said, no possible combination can be united into a practical machine by which men can fly. In 1926, a scientist said, this foolish idea of shooting to get to the moon is basically impossible. And finally and probably the most funny, is in 1946, Daryl F. Zanuck, head of 20th Century Fox Television, said, television won't be able to hold onto any market it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. Hmm. There will always be people who say it can't be done. But even experts can get it wrong. God lets us know that we won't succeed by human power all the time. But we will succeed by his spirit in his power. So what's to be taken away from this passage? And how does it fit into our own 
sort of situations that we're in. You know, we just have to learn to overcome the challenges and know that he's there. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, he was at a point where he was frustrated. And he says in chapter 3, verses 1-2, he was trying to shake up the Galatians a bit. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Jesus Christ. If you look up front here, you see the cross with a few lines of text. And one of my favorite lines and, uh, is the one where it said, sacrifice for our sins. That is what Jesus did for us. Not only that, but he saved us in the, in the whole picture of uh, coming to earth, walking this planet. He sacrificed himself for us, and he saved us. He is our original SOS. I don't know if any of you have playlists of music that sort of pop into your head every once in a while. Earlier this week, I was uh, just sitting around and reading some more about uh, Zechariah and his prophecy, and this song came into my head. It's... um. It's a secular song by Abba, and it's called SOS. The chorus goes, So when you hear me, darling, can you hear me? SOS. And the love you gave me, nothing else can save me. SOS. Jesus the Christ is our SOS. No matter what we are dealing with, he is there. There's another song that happened too while Doug and I were out for a drive, and it came on, and it's um, someone you'll probably recognize, Chris Tomlin's Whom Shall I Fear? It starts, you hear me when I call, you are my morning song. Though darkness fills the night, it cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? It goes on from there to say, I know who goes before me, I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. I learn a lot from music. In fact, my parents were convinced that that the reason I came into the church was because of the music. That's true, but it's also because of the message. What Zerubbabel was facing isn't really far off from what we deal with today. When he saw that the Spirit of God would indeed complete the temple, he relaxed a little. I think that same applies to us today as we struggle with this world that we live in. We can also note the function of the power that was displayed. The seven lamps in Zechariah 4.2, have one function, to give light. The church exists today as each Christian exists 
to shine a light in a dark world. To do that, we have to monitor our relationships and keep them healthy. It's hard to light a passageway if you're full of darkness or anger or hurt or hate. Matthew 5.24 says, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled so that the person would then know that he was able to receive light and give light. Keeping our light shining isn't always easy. Sometimes it takes a lot of thought and understanding. Understanding the people who live around us, understanding how people think and react, understanding that without shining our light to a darkened world, we are neglecting our greatest gift. This doesn't mean that there is never disappointment or anger, only that it can't remain in us. Part of the research I've been doing lately, as I've just been looking up certain things for what I'm writing and what I'm doing, is that to keep healthy, we keep our hands busy as we deal with the difficulties around us. Didn't really believe that at first, but it's true. I remembered my grandma always telling us, idle hands are the devil's workshop. To stop living in God's light means we become susceptible to great harm. So, to keep the hands busy, we pick up a pencil and draw a card or a cartoon to share. We call someone on the phone. We knit a blanket for someone in need. Bake up some cookies for your family. But most of all, use your hands to pray. Ask for the help you need and the help that someone else may need as well. What it comes down to is living and shining our light, not by our own power, but by God's Spirit. This needs to be our daily goal. This passage shows us how to be useful to God despite our human limitations. First of all, it's God's power that is important, not ours. Secondly, it's God's power that removes the obstacles, not ours. And it's God who rejoices over our work. Some who saw that original temple that Zerubbabel was rebuilding thought that it was pretty insignificant. It was small. It wasn't as grand or glorious as the previous one. But to the eyes of God, it was a source of great joy. God delights in small things. God uses many small things to do his work. Warren Wearsby, a well-known Bible teacher, made a list of how God used small things. Like, in Exodus 4.2, God uses Moses' staff. Moses didn't know if the people would believe that he'd seen God, so God made that staff into a snake, and then he took that snake and made it back into the staff. In 1 Samuel 17.40, with God's help and a sling and a few small stones... David defeated Goliath. In Judges 15.15, God uses a jawbone of a donkey to strike down a thousand men. 
In Joshua 2, verses 15 to 21, Rahab lets down the spies, lowers them from her window so they can get away. A rope, a piece of rope. In John 6, 9, Jesus took a small amount of food and fed thousands. And finally, he even used mud in John 9, 6 to 7 to rub on the eyes of the fellow who hadn't seen since birth. All we need to do is let his light shine. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 14 to 16, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Each of us have given some sort of light, some sort of gift that we can share, something that God has given to us to grow his kingdom. When we use that gift, we are showing the light, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we lift up to you our lives. You know where we are, and you know what we need for our lives. May our lives bear witness to your work here on earth, and may we take the light you've given us and share it. Amen.